Perception. Perception is reality. Reality. Perception is reality. Reality. Some talk shows think all of their opinions are right. This one, this one knows they are. This is Perception is Reality. Christopher H. Bilbury is a no-nonsense, well, maybe a little bit of nonsense, political activist, local government watchdog, and all-around good Hoosier and God-fearing American citizen. Is this guy for real? Holding lawmakers accountable and educating citizens on the importance of participating in their local government with a dab of national and world politics and a little pop culture and maybe some real-life common sense. This, this is, is Perception is Reality. And this is Christopher H. Bilbrey. Well, that's where it will be reworked there. <laughs> right. Yeah. <clears throat> Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this 101st episode of Perception is Reality. I'm your host, Christopher H. Bilbrey, and it's wonderful to be with you. I am so happy that you have decided to give us... Just a little bit more of your time. Today is going to be a really big show. I do want to say we are again graced with the amazingly beautiful Carla Carnes, my co-host. Welcome back and thank you for for putting up with uh, my crap yet again. Uh, You know, I said that she'll probably only be here until she's able to do all of the recording on her own. And then she'll be gone because she absolutely outshines me. And uh, we are all lucky that she is here yet again. Uh, Folks, I'm going to say we have a really big show today because in just a few moments, we're going to be talking with the libertarian candidate for governor of the state of Indiana, Mr. Donald Rainwater. We'll have him on in just a few moments. I do have feelers out with Dr. Woody Myers, the Democrat challenger for governor of the state of Indiana, as well as the incumbent Of course, Governor Eric Holcomb. And as soon as I have solid dates on either one or both of those other men, I will definitely let you know. Of course, we treat everybody the same here during the interview process. But as you all know, this is a commentary show. We're going to let you know what we think. And I'm just going to say it right here out out of the gate. This is my guy. I will treat Dr. Myers and I will treat Governor Holcomb with the respect that they they deserve if or when they come on the show. But I'm letting you know today, right now, before the interview, Donald Rainwater is my guy for November when I cast my ballot. So please listen to what he has to say. Also, before we start, remember to share the show with everyone you know. We can be found on all major podcast hosting sites. We can also be found at the home link of perception.fireside.fm. You can simply just Google Bilbrey Podcast and you will find us. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash bilberry 318 so find us over there and this is going to be a big show because of of who we're talking to and what we're covering so absolutely share this show with everyone that you know that votes in the state of indiana so without further ado we're going to take a quick break here and when we get back we'll have mr donald rainwater on the line and we'll get straight into the interview you're listening to the 101st episode of perception is reality her name is carla carnes my name Christopher Bilbrey will be right back. Now we go on the record with a one-on-one interview designed to engage, entertain, or enrage you. Perception is reality. On the record. 
Yeah, it's really election season. I know, nobody's talking about it. Isn't it crazy? Welcome back, everyone, to this 101st episode of Perception is Reality. I'm Chris, Carlos to my right, and we are joined on the phone by the Libertarian candidate for governor of the state of Indiana, Mr. Donald Rainwater. Don, welcome to Perception is Reality. Thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure to be uh, on the podcast with you. I appreciate the invitation. It's absolutely our pleasure. Why don't we go ahead and get right into it? Much has been made of the losses of freedoms and liberties here in Indiana due to COVID-19. Honestly, we've been going down that path for quite some time now, well before the pandemic ever started. Can you talk to us a little bit about your core beliefs and values that will shape you as governor? Certainly. Um, and, And let me first say I agree with you entirely that we have been sliding down this slippery slope for a long time here in Indiana at least the last seven and a half years. I believe that the founders of our nation intended for us to have individual sovereignty, which means that we rule ourselves. We are self-governing people. That is the intent. And Thomas Jefferson uh, wrote in the Declaration of Independence, to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. It is my belief that the purpose of government is to secure the rights of the individual and little else. Uh, I believe that we should be, as a society, striving to ensure that our government protects our life, liberty, property, and the pursuit of happiness as defined by the individual and not a special interest group or a government agency, but the individual. And so... As a libertarian, I believe that it's very important that we continue to work to get libertarians like myself elected so that we can go in and start uh, reducing the size of our morbidly obese state government. I agree completely. One of the issues that has recently struck a nerve with me is how Governor Holcomb was so easily able to determine who was and who was not essential. What are your thoughts on this? Well, first of all, I don't believe that they have the authority to do that. Exactly. Again, I believe in the government of the people, by the people, for the people, not the people uh, of the government, for the government, by the government. And therefore, the government doesn't tell us which one of us are essential and which one of us are not. The government does not have the authority in my opinion, to tell us who provides the necessities of life and who does not. Uh, In my opinion, every business in the state of Indiana provides the necessities of life for those who depend upon it for their livelihood, their families. And, And who am I or you or anyone else to say what is a necessity and what is not? So I, I wholly, um, I believe all Hoosiers are essential. I believe that the picking of winners and losers is not only wholly inappropriate, but it's driven by an agenda and individual freedom is not supposed to be Uh, restricted by someone's agenda. Absolutely, because I can say and I can speak very clearly from one who was deemed not essential 
that it is extremely belittling. It makes you feel like you don't matter, that you don't hold the same value as the other people that are deemed essential or that you, your families don't matter at all. So I like the point you made with that because that has been a big bother to me and a lot of my friends and a lot of my coworkers, a lot of the other small business owners I know. So that's that's been really hard to take. Absolutely. And one of the things that I think as we move forward on the calendar, as we continue down the path that is being laid out, what we're going to find is that the laws of unintended consequences do not suspend in our universe just because the government uh, doesn't recognize that they exist. And I believe that we are going to find that there are many businesses and jobs that the governor decided to deem essential that will be lost due to the economic damage that has been done by his executive orders. And I am afraid for every Hoosier who has been or will be affected by the fact that the choice uh, was made to derail our economy in order to reduce the stress on the healthcare industry. Because that was, if you, if you look back, that was the stated goal of flattening the curve. We want to flatten the curve in order to reduce the impact on the healthcare industry. Because they also say that they wanted to protect our most vulnerable, although uh, they have released data uh, stipulating that 91% of the people who have died in Indiana from COVID-19 are people in nursing homes, senior citizens. So if we were trying to protect our most vulnerable with this shutdown, it would appear that we failed and actually only protected the least vulnerable. Yeah, that is a big That's problem. A problem. Absolutely. And so here again, I, I believe that the, the whole concept of essential jobs and essential businesses. Um, I, I don't understand how an office depot is more essential than a Joanne fabric. The, the governor, when he made that proclamation, used the example of office depot being a, a, an essential business because it provides the necessities of life for people who have to work from home. And I immediately thought, but what if you're a seamstress? If you're a seamstress and you have to work from home, those same supplies that you need are at Joanne Fabric. <laughs> so why does Joanne Fabric have to do curbside only, but Office Depot doesn't? And I think as we go and, and as we talk about the, the roadmap to reopen and, and things like this, what we see are decisions that were not made using any data-driven logic or anything that, that is of any consistent basis whatsoever. So one has to ask the question, if it wasn't data-driven, if we're not looking at the science, if we're saying those things, but those are hollow and empty phrases being used to uh, keep the citizens in compliance, what decision-making process has actually been used to make these decisions. And I think that's a very, very important question 
that the citizens of the state of Indiana should be raising. Absolutely. I agree completely. Hi, Don. It's Chris here. I want to ask you a question, and it's moving away from the pandemic talk just for a second, if we could, and focusing more on the day-to-day campaign and your belief as a libertarian candidate who's running for the office of governor of the state of Indiana. This focuses on some of your core beliefs and the principles that you are running on as a libertarian candidate. Looking through your social media and following your campaign up until this point, I know that ballot initiatives, referendums, and recalls are very important to you. And your website has listed that you will work with members of the General Assembly to enact legislation establishing ballot initiatives, referendums, and recalls in the state, and that you go on to say these three processes go a long way toward reaffirming government in Indiana of the people, by the people, and for the people. If you would, take a second to talk to us a little bit about what you're getting at here and why these three points are so important to you and they should be to the state of Indiana. First of all, I believe from a libertarian perspective that it's important for us to understand that here again, we're supposed to be a government of the people, by the people, and for the people, which means that we are the government and that the people who are elected to office work for us. And in the event, which I believe that we live in a day when our elected officials uh, are able to basically say whatever they'd like to say and then do whatever they're told to do by those who have funded their campaigns, we, we need to get to a place where the people can say, this particular elected official has lied to us. They told us they were going to do these things. They aren't keeping their campaign promises, so we want to vote to have them removed from office so that we can put someone in there who will do what they say they're going to do. Yeah. That is the long or short of it of a recall. A referendum, obviously, in Indiana, we vote on referendums for property taxes for schools now that we have the fallacy that is the <laughs> 1% cap on property taxes. Sure. But we can put ballot initiatives, we can go out and get petitions and say, we want this question on a ballot. We want to have the people vote on this. Now, one of the things that I have long been frustrated by is when I hear either uh, politicians, uh, elected officials, members of the media talk about our democracy. We do not live in a democracy. We live in a republic. Yes. I don't want to live in a democracy. I don't want to live somewhere where the majority can tell me what to do. I want to be able to govern myself as a representative democracy or a republic is supposed to secure my individual rights. And one of the ways that we're able to do that is through ballot initiatives, referendums, and recalls. We can check government and make sure that we are not being pushed in a particular direction. Now, what that does is that puts a lot of responsibility on the individual. It puts a lot of responsibility on people to go to the polls and to vote. And I think one of the reasons that we have allowed government to get too powerful 
too big, morbidly obese, if you will, is because we don't think that we have a voice. And yeah. so I think that these things would, would go a long way to uh, allow people to know, hey, my voice does matter, and I am able to participate in self-government. You're absolutely correct that this is something that is needed for citizens to more fully be able to participate in their local and state government. <clears throat> Sorry, I've got a I'm starting to lose my voice, I think. But I have been involved with two scenarios in two different communities in the recent past where had recalls been in place. Citizens participating in their local government in these instances would have been far better off with recalls being a tool. I have often spoke about, and a tagline here at the podcast is, better government through citizen involvement. And not having the ability to say, wait a minute, we're not happy with the performance that you're giving us, so we're going to seek recalling you. You know, it's important that the citizens know and the elected officials know that the elected officials work for the citizens. There are situations that occur and there are so many people that say, well, what can we do now? And when the answer is, well, turn back up in four years and vote, they get really disheartened by that. And so having the recall tool is something else that I believe will help push the elected officials in a better direction. Moving on from there to another major issue for the state of Indiana, a personal rights issue for the state of Indiana, and something that a lot of Hoosiers have been talking about, and this is definitely in the minds in one way or another for a lot of Hoosiers and a lot of politicians, is the cannabis debate. Legalize it recreationally, medicinally, decriminalize it. Which way are you falling there? And if you can, talk with us a little bit about what your feelings are about this debate. Certainly. Uh, first of all, I think there are two steps uh, that need to be taken. The first is decriminalization. Because what, we've, what we can do when we decriminalize cannabis in Indiana is that we can actually go and expunge the records of people who have been convicted of nonviolent cannabis-related quote-unquote crimes. Yeah. And I believe that part of uh, the decriminalization and legalization is going back and recognizing that Johnny walking down the street uh, and he gets profiled and he gets patted down and he's got a joint in his pocket. As a libertarian, I believe if there's no victim, there's no crime. And Johnny should not have a criminal record because he was walking down the street right. with a joint yeah. in his pocket. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think decriminalization is the first step. And I think that's very important. And then the second step is legalization, where we actually uh, set up uh, the, the minimal number of regulations 
And, and I won't even say the same regulations as we have for alcohol, because I believe here in Indiana, we have too many alcohol related regulations. Uh, I believe we have too many regulations in, in, in general, um, uh, especially toward uh, the uh, personal decision as to which vices you choose to uh, partake in and which you don't. Uh, I also believe that uh, the tax structure, uh, I always, you know, uh, talk about the sin taxes, uh, the taxes on alcohol, mm-hmm. tobacco, uh, vaping, um, and, and, and it would be the same with the legalization of cannabis. We, you know, we have to be careful I hear a lot of people today say, well, you know, we legalize cannabis. Think of all the tax revenue that will come in. And I'm like, taxation is not a reason to legalize something. The reason you legalize it is because there's no crime. There's no victim. Nobody's getting hurt. And it, there's, there's no, you can't give me a logical, rational argument as to why cannabis is more dangerous than tobacco or alcohol or, God forbid, legally prescribed opioids yeah. that have created a crisis. You know, we're so busy right now talking about the COVID crisis that we don't even think about the fact that the uh, executive orders creating the lockdown have put recovering addicts in a situation where uh, their recovery support system mm. is told to socially distance from them. Yeah. That's a problem. Yeah. And so here again, I think what we have to focus on is the fact that we have to remove the stigma past, present, and future and have an honest conversation and say cannabis is no different from alcohol or tobacco or any other product that a person who is individually sovereign in a liberty society chooses to partake of of their own free will yeah something to touch on with that too is something that i've noticed i get the feeling that the state administration is so far out of reality with what the people actually want and what they need and i feel like there's so much control over the decisions that we can and cannot make as individuals when you say self-governing i feel like we should have more of those rights so when you become governor how would you go about making sure that we as citizens do get those rights Well, I think, first of all, let let me say that I would rephrase what you just said just slightly and say, how do we take back the rights that have been taken from us? Absolutely. Because, again, uh, those unalienable rights were endowed upon us by our creator. And no matter what form that takes for you, uh, the reality is, is that those are considered natural rights. Sure. You were, you were born with those rights. Um, 
government didn't give them to you, therefore government cannot take them away legally. So the first thing that we have to do when we take back the governor's office is we have to sit down and we have to look at all of the regulations that can be rescinded through executive order. And I would issue executive orders uh, eliminating as many uh, previously issued executive orders, um, regulations, statutes, anything that, that I could legally, uh, with the stroke of a pen, say, we're not doing this anymore. <laughs> and I will tell you that no better time to start identifying the unnecessary overreaching regulations and statutes in the state of Indiana than to look at the stuff that was um, suspended because we're in an emergency. Because yes. the reality is, is if you don't need it in an emergency, <laughs> you don't need it. <laughs> Correct. And that, yeah. that's the bottom line. Um, you know, it, it, if, if, if it's in the way of me responding to an emergency, then it's uh, then it's a roadblock, and we shouldn't have any. There should be no roadblocks, no inhibitors to freedom, uh, to uh, equal opportunity under the law. Uh, every citizen of the state of Indiana should have the same opportunity under the law. To, to start a business, to build a business, to own a home, that there should never be any restrictions that say this group has an advantage over that group, or these people have an advantage over those people. And I think that's one of the places that we have to start with right away, is that we have to start looking at what, what can we do without the General Assembly, and then we have to sit down and we have to say, who in the General Assembly loves liberty? And, and I can, you know, I can, right now I can tell you that there are the, in my opinion, there are the Jim Lucases, yeah. uh, there are the Victoria Sparkses, um, people who uh, I believe you can work with and 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 start trying to build. And I think if you if you really sit down and start working with people and finding the people who, if you can get them away from the status quo, you you can start a movement. Sure. And and the reality is is that if we for two years we spin our wheels, I will tell you that I have absolutely no problem if the governor today can come on television for an hour and tell us how many people have died and how many people have tested positive that I most certainly don't have a problem coming on television every afternoon and saying, here are the things we're trying to do to make you more free. And here are the people <laughs> who are working with us. Yes. And here are the people who are trying to block us. Absolutely. And in 2022, if you want to be more free, here are the people you've got to get rid of, and here are the people we need more of. <laughs> and awesome. and 
And and I think that that is something that we we need to do. It, we we need to be able to say, here are the types of representatives that we need in our state government. We need more of these and less of those. Sure, absolutely. That brings up a really good question. What is your campaign doing to work with both sides? Obviously, being libertarian, you're not in the same boat as the Republicans or Democrats who, during election time and after, only want to stick with their own kind. You're polling from both sides and hoping to poll from both sides and needing to work with both sides. So what are you guys doing to work with other libertarians down ballot around the state, and what are you guys doing to reach out to Republicans and Democrats that you're trying to build relationships and and work relationships with to move forward uh, after the election? Once we are able to do so, we will be scheduling days where I will go out with uh, libertarian candidates who are on the ballot for the General Assembly, state representative or state senate, and we'll be knocking on doors. If we can't get to the place where people are comfortable with us knocking on their door and handing them some literature and talking to them for a minute, six feet away, then uh, we'll make phone calls. Right. But I, I think it's very important, uh, A, that people know that I support the people who are on the ballot for the General Assembly as libertarians, and they support me. And that we want to go together as a team so that we can start changing the discussion. Because what we have now is a supermajority of Republicans. I would say that that supermajority is made up of a lot of different people with a lot of different agendas. And I believe that there are uh, both Republicans and Democrats in the General Assembly, who have libertarian-minded philosophies. Oh, yeah. And my job as a libertarian governor would be to reach out to them and say, look, we aren't libertarians. We're not Republicans. We're not Democrats. We're Hoosiers. Yes. We're Americans. We're human beings. We need to stop... Uh, the only identity that matters is the identity of the individual. If you want to play identity politics, that's fine. Let's talk about the individual. Because every Hoosier is unique. Every Hoosier has different problems. And it is not only condescending, but it is wholly insulting to tell someone that because of the color of your skin or your religious background or your nationality or your gender or your sexual orientation, you belong with that group of people. Right. And you need to vote the way they do. That is an insult to every citizen of this state because yeah. we're all different and we're all unique and we all have different problems and we all have different needs, which is why all Hoosiers are essential and every Hoosier business provides the necessities of life sure. because yeah. everybody's different. So I believe that finding those people who agree with that will actually be fairly easy because a lot of them have already spoken out. 
Right. Absolutely. Yeah. What they need is somebody who will stand with them and who will not uh, talk down to them or talk down about them to the media and who will forge a relationship for the benefit of each and every individual Hoosier in this state. I absolutely love that whole entire point that you just made because me looking out into the political world and getting more involved and wanting to know more about my government and what I can do to help, I feel like our federal and local governments have taken such unprecedented actions causing like panic or fear to citizens. And I don't know if that's a made up fear. I don't know what it is, but people don't feel as close to the people, to whoever is in office representing us. So when you're governor, I, I can feel that you would try to make it such a point to be personable and to, to let people know that their opinion mattered. And I think that is huge for people. Absolutely. And, and I will also tell you that I am a, that there are two principles that I have lived by professionally. I'm a software engineer uh, by trade for the last 20 years. Uh, I've been in uh, management for about the last seven or eight years. And the, the two principles that I feel like guide me are, first of all, if I'm the smartest guy in the room, I'm leaving the room. <laughs> I want people around me who are who who are able to uh, educate me, who I can learn from, uh, who will help me make appropriate decisions. And then the second thing that I think is extremely important in a in you know what we call a servant leader is the fact that a, a leader's job is to provide those around him with the tools they need to be successful and then get out of their way yeah, and let them be successful. Now, if they choose not to be, then you have to replace them with somebody else. And I think one of the things that we have seen from the current administration is that there have been a lot of issues where there wasn't any leadership at all. Yeah. Because uh, you don't allow uh, fraud to go on in the Department of Veterans Affairs right. unless you're just not paying attention. And you can, you can let people be successful, but you still have to hold them accountable. Sure. Our Department, our, our department of Child Services and the issues that have happened there over the last couple of years. I'm concerned because evidently, there was nobody smart enough in the state of Indiana to fix our problems in DCS. Yeah. So the governor had to go to Georgia and pay a consulting company from Georgia to come here and tell us how to run our Department of Child Services. That's absolutely unacceptable. And the level of incompetence that we were able to learn that came out of the Indiana State Department of Child and Family Services was just absolutely mind-blowing. Let me move on here and ask you about another issue that you have spoken about, and that's the occupational licensing. And this is something that Carla and I have talked about because, for example, in her position, she has to deal with this, and there are several different professions that have to deal with this. Some of them, like doctors, 
I can understand might require this, but as far as beauticians or barbers, you know, what stops Joe Blow from coming in off the street and cutting hair? Is that something that should be allowed? Where, where do you fall on that? Well, so let me start with this. Uh, I believe that because you are individually sovereign, if you want to let Joe Blow cut your hair, (laughs) then you go right ahead. Right. (laughs) Now, with that being said, I, I would first of all say, uh, Carla, I, I would like to apologize to you uh, for, uh, as a citizen of the state of Indiana, for my state's government screwing you by forcing you to go to a certain school in order to get uh, training, to get to take a test, to get a license that... Um, you probably should have been able to achieve by going through an association that is run by the people in the, in the field and not a group of legislators yes. who create legal restrictions, barriers to entry into a particular career path because the lobbyists from these uh, vocational colleges have come in and said, look, we, we, we need a certain number of people to come through to make sure we have a certain amount of, of income and revenue. So, you know, we don't want anybody to take the test and get licensed for something unless they've been through the schooling first. Well, that's wrong. Yeah. Now, if let's say Carla and uh, a group of, of other um, professional um, hairstylists or beauticians or cosmetologists, whichever is the appropriate word at this particular <laughs> point in time, if they get together and they create an association and they say that to belong to our association, you need to meet these qualifications. Mm-hmm. And then they advertise... These people, for example, you know, you hear on the, on the radio all the time, hire a union electrician. Well, to me, it's the same in any industry. And one of the, the telltale things is if you look at the bar association in Indiana, who runs the bar association? The attorneys. The lawyers do. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I was a little hesitant when this topic got brought up because I've always been a a fan of education. So I really believe that there's training required per profession, but the way that you just broke that down for me opened my eyes to a whole different way to look at it. In my opinion, if you are a member of an association and you want to offer an apprenticeship program where people come and they work in your salon and once they have done X number of hours and they have a check, I was in the Navy for eight years. Sorry, I didn't mean to pick it. That that was a very quick pivot. I apologize. (laughs) Oh, no, you're fine. Um, But I was in the Navy for eight years. And when I was on sea duty, we had a certification that we could achieve that required us to go with a booklet and basically fulfill a checklist in different areas of the ship. And we had to prove that we were capable and knowledgeable in order to get the sign-off from someone who had that certification in that part of the ship. And once we had done all of that, 
then we got that certification, enlisted service warfare. And I believe that you can get the education you need without sitting in a classroom. Now, if you choose to go to a classroom, or if an association of uh, cosmetologists or salon owners say, we agree we will not hire anybody unless they have been to school, done this many hours in school, passed this test, hey, that's fine. Yeah. I just don't think the government should be doing that. Well, I appreciate you for changing my mind on that because I've been very dead set on that whole point of view of schooling, but I never looked at it from coming from an association or being more hands-on like that because I totally agree with that point now. So thank you for that. To me, it's all, it's the public versus private argument. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm glad that you broke it down like that because that really shows what people should have in mind and it's allowing the free market to dictate because i i spoke wrongly in my example like you said if joe blow wants to come in and and hang out a shingle and and cut some hair and if you want to go to joe blow you should have the right to be able to go to joe blow to get your hair cut and now if folks don't want to do that, then they decide not to do that. He probably won't be in business long, but that should be up to the free market. However, for example, if you're going to be a private investigator or if you're going to be a barber or a hairstylist, that there are still expectations of excellence among the professionals in that group, like you said, so you have organizations and associations that kind of police their own rather than allowing the state to do it. I think that is exactly on point. And I think it's important that we we try to, to have people kind of look in that direction because what we have today is every young person, and I, this is part of the education discussion too, we need to do more vocational training in our high schools so that when someone graduates high school, they have the tools, if they so choose to do so, to go into a, a, a field, an occupation that does not require four years of college. Yeah. Because we're pushing too many people into college. Now we have the college debt, economic issue. We have, um, uh, we have these under-appreciated uh, uh, technical skills that, that now we, you know, we have kids that have a, a master's degree in underwater basket weaving, but we don't have enough electricians. That's a problem. And we need to refocus and, and start telling people it's okay to make $25 an hour getting your hands dirty. That's not a bad thing. So, so I think there's a lot that goes into that occupational licensing discussion, um, but that's kind of the, the 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 top layer of it. That's fantastic. I absolutely agree with where your your points are there. I think that's very very important for the folks that are starting to come up out of high school now and looking at you know options that they have. So we're starting to wind down, but before we get to wrapping this up, let me ask you, 
Where can you be located if folks are interested in learning more about you, if they're interested in connecting with you on social media, or if they are so inclined to donate? Tell people where they can find your information and how they can how they can look you up. Absolutely. Uh, my website is uh, rainwaterforindiana.com. And it's, you know, rainwater, R-A-I-N-W-A-T-E-R. And you can use either the word for or the number for indiana.com. And uh, there is a page there for issues. You can click on the issues button. It'll take you to show you the issues that I discussed. Uh, There's also a contact button where you can actually go and leave me a message if you like. I answer all of those personally. Uh, And then, uh, of course, I would be remiss if I didn't also mention that there is a donate button. If you uh, would like to donate to our campaign, uh, I will tell you that the incumbent probably has around $8 million (laughs) in his uh, campaign fund right now. Uh, Evidently, uh, Dr. Uh, Myers has around uh, 300,000. And I am not anywhere close to that. Right. Uh, So we need all the help we can get. Uh, I will also tell you uh, that uh, if you donate to my campaign on that button, you will receive a personal thank you email from me as well for that. Uh, I don't have other people doing that. I do it myself. That's absolutely fantastic. Again, ladies and gentlemen, we are speaking with Donald Rainwater, the Libertarian candidate for governor for the state of Indiana. And unfortunately, like so often happens, there is so much to talk about and too little time. So we're starting to cut it close. And I want to give you the opportunity to get out any other information that we have not covered. And I will tell you, I would love, love, love to have you back on between now and the election and definitely stay in contact with you. But are there any final thoughts or final points that you would like the listeners to know, at least on this first initial interview here with Perception is Reality? Sure, I'll try to cover this as quickly as I can. Um, First of all, I believe that because we have nine states in the United States that do not have a personal income tax and they're still functioning as states, that we should eliminate the personal income tax here in the state of Indiana. Sure. I also believe that you do not own your personal residence because you have to pay for the right to to, to keep it twice a year to the state of Indiana, and I believe that we need to eliminate the personal property tax on everyone's uh, private residence. Uh, The 1% cap is a lie. It's only a cap on the 1%. They come out and reassess your property every year and then raise your tax. The other thing that I would like people to know is that Governor Holcomb and Dr. Myers are the same person. Yes. They are both big governments run by their individual parties, and all they want to do is raise your taxes, raise the debt, and reduce your freedoms. I am the only person running in this election who wants to reduce the size and scope of the state government 
who wants to put more money in your pocket, and who wants to secure your right to life, liberty, property, and the pursuit of happiness as you define it, not how they define it. Absolutely. Donald, thank you so much for giving us more insight on you and letting the viewers and listeners learn a little bit more about you. We hope they check out your site and do their research. I think they'll be happy. So thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, I would love to uh, uh, maybe uh, uh, have another spot in the future between now and the election where maybe we can talk about something more specific. Sure. Yes, sir. Yeah, we will definitely have to stay in contact with you. You are welcome back here anytime. We would absolutely love a chance to speak with you before the election and then again after the election to see how it all shakes out. All right. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thank Thank you. you. Thank you very much. Ladies and gents, we've been speaking with Donald Rainwater, Libertarian candidate for the governor of the state of Indiana. All right. Well, I don't understand really what's going on with my voice. I'm going to have to get a drink of water. She's Carla Carnes. I'm Christopher H. Bilbrey. This is Perception is Reality. And we'll be right back after this quick break. Perception. Perception is reality. Reality. Perception is reality. Reality. All right, folks, it's that time. Please remember to share this show with everyone you know. We can be found on all major podcast hosting sites simply by searching Bilbrey Podcast. We can also be found at perception.fireside.fm. Be sure to tell your family and friends to check us out. I want to say a very special thank you to Donald Rainwater and his campaign for his appearance on today's show. Carla, you did fantastic today. Thank you very much. For the rest of you, stay active, stay involved, stay safe. God bless. And we'll look forward to talking to you again real soon. You've been listening to Perception is Reality with Christopher H. Bilbrey. Bilbrey. Tune in, like, and subscribe at perception.fireside.fm. Hook up on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Bilbrey318. And on Twitter at PISRBilbrey. Email khbilbrey at gmail.com. Or get off your butt and call the show at 765-546-9796. Till next time, remember, perception Perception is is reality. reality. This has been Perception is Reality with Christopher H. Bilbrey, where we aim for better government through citizen involvement.